Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Tonight on The Readout... You just stay wealthy and healthy and well and everything. I want you to have great lives in general. You just have to stay healthy because we're bringing you back. We're going to bring you back. Republican frontrunner Donald Trump vows to put QAnon extremist, election denier, and convicted felon Mike Flynn back in a position of power if Trump is again elected president. Also tonight, growing Republican support for vigilantism as they rush to the defense of the man who choked Jordan Neely to death, with one right-winger saying Neely forfeited his right to live. And at long last, we finally have our hands on the much-heralded Durham report on the origins of the Trump-Russia probe. And he found about as much as Geraldo Rivera did in Al Capone's vault. And we begin tonight with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37 reads as follows. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, which by the way is an area in western Palestine, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he saw him. He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, a small sum of money, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Many of us who were raised in the church learned that Bible verse in Sunday school. But apparently for Republicans, the parable actually ends with the Samaritan choking the stripped and beaten man until he lost consciousness and died. At least if you go by the overwhelming reaction of conservative Republicans over the weekend to the arrest of the man who killed Jordan Neely on a New York subway train, Daniel Penny. Congressman Matt Gates gave Penny the nickname the Subway Superman. 
Well, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene hailed Penny as a hero, writing Jordan Neely was a violent criminal who should have been behind bars. The Wall Street Journal's conservative editorial board described Penny in a friendly Friday headline as the Subway Samaritan. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who's expected to announce for president any day now, tweeted this. We must defeat the Soros-funded DAs, stop the left's pro-criminal agenda, and take back the streets for law-abiding citizens. We stand with good Samaritans like Daniel Penny. Let's show this Marine America's God is back. Never mind that Daniel Penny has not, at least as of now, volunteered to be the right's next George Zimmerman or Kyle Rittenhouse, two vigilante heroes of the right who are beloved and famous among Republicans solely for killing people who they believe need killing and getting acquitted for it at trial. Penny is likely very busy working with his lawyer on his defense against a second-degree manslaughter charge in New York. Though the Christian the Christian crowdfunding site DeSantis promoted on Mother's Day weekend has already raked in more than $2 million. And here's the funny thing that's actually not so funny. Republicans who every election cycle clearly believe they need a new and more frightening boogeyman to dangle in front of white working class voters to terrify them into voting for the party of tax cuts for billionaires have moved on from critical race theory and inflation to a toxic combination of drag shows, black history, brown immigrants, secret Jewish overlords, George Soros, drink, and the always classic blue cities like Chicago and New York are Gotham and you, you white citizen can be the Batman or Superman. Only Republican Batman and Superman, unlike the ones in the comics, actually kill people. And you, conservative, armed conservative, must be heavily armed and empowered to kill at will with your handgun, your AR-15, or even with your bare hands. Anyone who makes you feel threatened or uncomfortable anywhere, anytime, at your front door, in your driveway, driving by a Black Lives Matter rally, on the or on the terrifying scary, black man-filled New York subway. And the people who tend to need killing just happen to be black or brown or suffering from mental health crises or, or white, but just a little too cozy with BLM. And killing them is not just your right, Republican citizen. Doing it makes you a hero. Joining me now is Thomas Zimmer, visiting professor of history at Georgetown University and writer of the Democracy Americana newsletter. And Charles Blow, New York Times columnist and MSNBC political analyst. Um, thank you both for being here. Uh, I did ask my lovely producers to, to track you down, Mr. Zimmer, because you wrote a thread that I think everyone should read on Twitter, if those people who are still reading Twitter. And you wrote, and part of it said this, you said this, this you know, promoting vigilantism sends a clear message it encourages white militants to use whatever force they please to, quote, fight back against anyone or anything associated with the left by protecting and glorifying those who have engaged in vigilante violence. Call it the Kyle Rittenhouse dogma. The right is defined by a political and social culture of white grievance, ethno-religious nationalism, gun fundamentalism, toxic masculinity, and glorified militancy. It is bound to produce many more Kyle Rittenhouses. Very hard to sustain democracy under such circumstances. Please say more. Well, look, I, I have to admit, I'm actually really disturbed by the reactions on the right. I can't say I'm surprised, um, but I am disturbed because what this what this tells us is that all strands of the right, Republican elected officials, the media machine, the reactionary intellectual sphere, the conservative base, they're all openly and aggressively embracing right-wing vigilante violence. That is not in and of itself a new phenomenon in American history. 
It has been for large uh, parts of U.S. history the norm, but it has really radicalized since the summer of 2020. That's why I think it is important to to think back to Kyle Rittenhouse um, and sort of what happened in the aftermath of the the protests um, after the murder of George Floyd. And on the right, this I mean, what we're seeing now. I think it's really important to think about this embrace of vigilante violence as a tool in their fight against democracy. Um, it is a tool to suppress uh, the majority um, because they know they don't have majority support. And is, it is a tool to enforce their vision of society on the majority. Um, and it's it's just very hard to, you know, imagine a sort of stable multiracial democracy under such circumstances. And that is the that is the point. That is exactly the point. That is why they are embracing this kind of white vigilante violence. Right. And and I think, you know, to be to to just be clear, uh, Charles Blow, we don't even know if um Daniel Penny is a right winger, if he wants to be the new Kyle Rittenhouse. It's not he it, it, unlike George Zimmerman, who leaned into becoming the right's new hero and like auctioned the gun and 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 made a big show of himself, right? Or Kyle Rittenhouse who posed with uh, members of the Proud Boys and has really leaned into becoming a, a, a mini celebrity for killing those two men at the Black Lives Matter march. We don't know this guy's ideology. All we know is that he fits the bill of what they want, right? As similarly, you had the now-fired um, former Fox News star, or Fox star, I don't call it news anymore, um, uh, Tucker Carlson, order the governor of Texas to pardon a man who's now gotten 25 years in prison because he shot a man who was white, but who was at a Black Lives Matter rally. So therefore, he's an enemy and who declared that he was going to go shoot some people. And then he did it. And then it, they didn't even look into who he was. Now it turns out he was also propositioning underage girls. So it's like they don't even care who you are. Their thing is, if you're a white man, you just get to kill whoever you want and we're going to justify it. Your thoughts? Right. And I think it was it's smart to think about it in the bigger kind of more global sense of what we're viewing here. It is not necessarily about these people as individuals. It is about these people as symbols. The, what the right is saying to America and has been saying for quite some time is that they they look at America in, a, in an apocalyptic view. They see a, a time coming when they feel like they may need to defend themselves from America itself, a more multiracial America, a brown America, America where they do not have the numerical advantage. And so what we have seen is a whole slate of legislation, not just, you know, kind of gather around cultural figures, but legislation that expanded gun rights, expanded, expanded your ability to carry in public, expanded your ability to, to, to do things, to kill people and not be criminally liable for doing that, whether that be, uh, you know, uh, using the Catholic doctrine or whether it be saying that you decriminalizing, killing people, protesters in the street, they have used, they are glomming on to vigilantes because they believe that there's a future in which they may have to be vigilantes, right? And so we see that even right now as we see vigilantes showing up at polling sites to kind of monitor polling sites and the and the, the judiciary having to step in and say, you can't do this. But they're, they're trying to pass laws to protect people's ability to use weapons, to kill, to, to enforce their vision of America by force. That is a big issue. And that this latest case just kind of fits neatly into it. But we have to, you know, we have to, as a society, look, pull back and say, there's something much bigger happening here. 
they see a future where they feel like they need to have the legal right to have a kind of vigilante civilian war against the country itself. And, and I mean, and just to put, put a finer point on it, let me read somebody who is one of the more reasonable, generally, voices on the right, David French, who himself has talked about openly about facing threats from the far, far right. But even he wrote this. Um, how passive should we be when unstable men act out in public, especially when the police are nowhere to be found? It's a failure of the rule of law that these questions come up so frequently. And, and the failure in places passengers are under serious pressure. And this failure places passengers under serious pressure. It puts them in tense situations where the proper course of action isn't clear. Both action and inaction have their risks. What if Penny had done nothing? Would everyone, including Neely, have emerged from that subway car unscathed? We can't know for certain, and the lack of certainty creates the conditions for violence. But Thomas, there's been no reporting that this man did anything other than yell and make a lot of noise and make people uncomfortable. There is no reporting that he laid a hand on anyone, that he touched anyone, that he actually physically harmed anyone. And yet, let me play what this guy, Stephen Crowder, had to say about him. You start going crazy on a subway car and attack people for the umpteenth time. We don't know if he was attacking there, but we know that people felt attacked, and we do know that he attacked people before on the sub you do forfeit your right to live. The second that you are engaging in an activity where someone else is forced to make a decision to save their life or a life of their loved one, completely, by the way, not of their own volition, you've put them in that scenario, you forfeit your right to live. None, none of those, fa first of all, I wonder if he feels that same way about men who beat their wives. I doubt that he does. Um, just going to put that point on it, given who that is. But also, he knows nothing of the circumstances of this. That circumstance, Mr. Thomas, that he described does not exist in the facts of this case. He just has decided that just like in the old lynching era in the early 20th century and late 19th century, that he can from a distance decide who has the right to live and die. That's lynching talk. Yeah, I mean, this... I think this is exactly how this kind of reaction ties into the broader political conflict, because it is indicative of a vision for society in which some people, white men in particular, have the absolute right to defend their place, their status, their comfort, right? They talk a lot about comfort and uh, certainty. America is built on a social order that gives white men specifically the power to use whatever form of violence they deem necessary to quote unquote defend themselves against all threats from others, right? Real and perceived. This order is predicated on an expansive idea of what constitutes a threat. Black people, for instance, are seen as inherently threatening. And there's not much of a line separating what makes white people uncomfortable from what is defined as acutely dangerous. And according to the right, it is just, it is the prerogative of conservative white Christians to dominate the public square, to have their own image reflected back at them at all times, to lash out against whoever and whatever challenges their dominant status or dares to make them uncomfortable. And the right wants to preserve that order. I mean, I think, I believe in a nutshell, right? This The question at the heart of the political conflict today is whether or not that kind of order should be upheld, that is the position of the right, or whether or not, or, or, or if it should be transcended. That is the position of everyone who wants to make that push towards a truly multiracial, pluralistic democracy. 
And what you just so um, eloquently described is the conflict over education. It's the conflict over migration. It's the conflict over history. It boils all down to that. Who dominates um, that social order? Thomas Zimmer, Charles Blow, thank you both very much. Up next on The Readout, white supremacy emerges as the most serious domestic terrorism threat facing America today, due in large part to Donald Trump and his extremist buddies like General Michael Flynn. The Readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. This weekend, the Reawaken America Tour headed to Trump's Doral Hotel in Miami. What is Reawaken America, you ask? Well, it's a Christo-fascist tour brought to you by Michael Flynn, Trump's first brief national security advisor, whom he fired and later was convicted of lying to the FBI about his contacts with Russian spies. Currently, Flynn is barnstorming the country, spewing some of the most vile and grotesque lies about COVID, the 2020 election, and Democrats. The events are Christian revival meets QAnon swap meet meets political rally. Here is just a smattering of the kind of stuff that they like to talk about. As most of you guys know, I've been exposing Pizzagate since 2016. I got on, on American Idol and I went far, went to the end of Hollywood week. And, you know, I started hanging out more and, and getting more experiences with how sick these people were in Hollywood. These people are drinking the blood of children. Who would have thought that a president would have to win not once, not twice, but three times in order to save our country? Two neo-Nazis who have promoted pro-Hitler propaganda and claimed that Hitler was actually fighting the same people were originally scheduled to speak at the event. They were disinvited once their attendance was publicly noted by our very own Rachel Maddow. Flynn, a retired three-star general, launched the tour with an Oklahoma entrepreneur a few months after the January 6th insurrection. Attendees and speakers still insist against all evidence and dozens of court rulings that Donald Trump rightfully won in 2020. Flynn, who urged Trump to impose martial law after that election, called the twice-impeached former president from the stage. I will say, General Flynn, he's some general, he's some man, he took abuse like nobody could have handled, and he came out bigger, better, stronger than ever before. We love him. He's a leader. And uh, you just stay wealthy and healthy and well and everything. I want you to have great lives in general. You just have to stay healthy because we're bringing you back. We're going to bring you back. 
Joining me now is David Jolly, MSNBC political analyst and former Republican congressman who's no longer affiliated with the party, and Ben Collins, NBC News senior reporter. Ben, I do want to start with you. So this was a cavalcade of uh, far right wing stars and also Trump family members, Eric Trump, Lara Trump, Peter Navarro, uh, Michael Flynn, Michael Lindell, Devin Nunes, Cash Patel, Matthew Whitaker. So a lot of former and he was actually one, at one point was the acting attorney general. Uh, but talk a little bit about the the, the Flynn of it uh, as we show a little video of him hanging out with Vladimir Putin in 2015. What is his reach in terms of the kind of online QAnon world at this point? Yeah, Flynn is the best in the world at taking these fringe movements in the far right and sanitizing them just a tiny bit and moving them forward, really getting all these people organized. And forgetting why they even joined to begin with. You know, he, he organized all of these QAnon people to run for office back in the day. Uh, and then, you know, he moved that on to the CRT panic of 2021, where he told every one of those people who were interested in CRT to, you know, band together and start protesting schools and start running for school boards. Uh, you know, he has this phrase that says uh, local action uh, uh, has national impact, which means to him, um, you know, you have really get down in the dirt, go to a school board and get on that school board and work your way up. But that was pinned to the side of the biggest QAnon forum for months for the last few years. It's because they trust him. They think he's secretly part of the big plan. And again, he'll <laughs> never say Pizzagate is real, but the people he has around him uh, always do. Those are the people who will say it out and out. But he maintains this veneer of, I don't know what these people are talking about. I was just trying to put these people together kind of thing. Uh, and that's what makes him such a good fringe organizer because it brings those people to Donald Trump directly, but he doesn't actually have to say any of it himself. You know, and David, what what Donald Trump is once again collecting around him are these fringe QAnon types, extremists, but also, you know, the far right racist corner of the world um, that are all sort of organizing. I mean, this is the same weekend that this happened, that neo-Nazis were going to hang out with Trump at Doral. Um, the Patriot Front, as they call themselves, they like masks now when they like to march, marched in Washington. Here they are. They suddenly think masks are OK, marching around in their khakis, Charlottesville style. That happened this weekend, David. Your thoughts. And they're yeah, not. It's interesting because. It, it's interesting because the conspiracy theory constituency has an organic destabilizing force on our politics, but so does the very adjacent white Christian nationalism, white supremacy constituency. And that is where you are seeing the party give aid and comfort to each of those. And it was noteworthy to see the strong reaction from the right. I know in your previous segment to Joe Biden calling out that white supremacy is the greatest domestic terror threat. It was Donald Trump's Department of Homeland Security that first put that in a report and testified to that before Congress. And I would say we make a mistake about thinking of white supremacy only for its violent acts. We see it in our politics as well. You know, I, I said recently that Donald Trump sold white nationalism to the working man. Ron DeSantis is selling it to the country club type. When you eliminate DEI and you suggest there can be no recognition of systemic racism and, and gender discrimination in American history and how that leads to our place in society as different demographic groups, when you say you're not allowed to do that now under law, that is just a softer version of white nationalism and white supremacy where you've just rounded off the edges to make it more palatable to the country club set.
Well, I mean, and no Holocaust. Uh, you're not you're not allowed to learn about the Holocaust, uh, apparently, in Florida schools. If you in any way try to talk about the present conditions of anti-Semitism in relation to it. Right. So they're cutting off the connection between history and the present. Let me just give you guys a little bit of a taste of how Fox did respond to what um, Biden said. So let's play Biden first and then the Fox response. It's a battle. It's never really over. But on the best days, enough of us have the guts and the hearts to stand up for the best in us, to choose love over hate, unity over disunion, progress over retreat, to stand up against the poison of white supremacy as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. He understands the only way he could win is to convince some pretty dumb college kids at that university if they believe him. Well, what a disservice. Uh, that, that it's a disservice. If they believe that this country is full of white supremacists and that's our number one threat. Um, but look, you saw in 2020, Pete, um, during that those riots, a lot of people could be convinced that this is not this is a racist country. That's being taught at it's that university universities across America. So that statement is not surprising to the ears of those kids or no. to the ears of most college kids across America. David, I just want to put back up the Patriot Front marching in Washington. No racism in the country. And read this from the Washington Post. Jack Teixeira, the guy who leaked all that information previously, had unpublished videos and chat logs viewed by the Washington Post in which he talked about a violent struggle against a legion of perceived adversaries, including blacks, political liberals, Jews, gay and transgender people who would make life intolerable for the kind of person Teixeira believed to be, which, which is in his mind a Christian white man. So no racism in America, says the angry Fox crowd. Yeah, look, this is this is critical, Joy. Joe Biden was amplifying a Department of Homeland Security finding that was made under Donald Trump and Donald Trump tried to kill for political reasons. He did not want to recognize the potential violence that comes from white supremacy in the United States. We can keep foreign adversaries at bay, but we have a hard time with these cells that are rooted in white supremacy. And here's the political translation where it all gets whitewashed, Joy. It's this. When a Republican says they're coming for your way of life, they're coming for your place, for your privilege, what they're saying is they're coming for your whiteness and they are bringing you diversity that is not welcome. That is the tell. That is the tell. And that is the danger. And that and then there are also the conspiracy theories. Well, you've got the Paul Gosar aide, who apparently is a white nationalist activist. And then you've got the conspiracy theory crowd. Talk a little bit about the reporting that you found on the man who attacked Jerry Connolly's office and staffers. Yeah, there was, that was this is a man named Zwan Kafam who uh, believed in a particularly ridiculous conspiracy theory that he was being uh, tracked by the CIA and that he was uh, being uh, wrongfully imprisoned in the fourth dimension, is what he wrote in a lawsuit against the CIA last year. Uh, totally wild stuff. Uh, you know, in on the internet, this is a community called gang stalking. Uh, they think they are being tracked and tortured all day long by like secret weapons. That by itself has always existed. There have always been crazy people who, who believe crazy people stuff. But now when there's a political party who is saying, actually, yeah, the CIA is doing weird stuff all the time. Who knows what the end is? It could it could target you. That's when it gets really, really dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. David Jolly, Ben Collins, thank you both very much. Still ahead. Remember back in 2019 when John Durham began an investigation that was supposed to deliver bombshells about the origins of the Trump-Russia investigation? Well, that report is finally out. And the only thing missing 
are the bombshells. We'll be right back. Hey, parents. Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Special counsel John Durham dropped a bombshell report. I can confirm Durham's investigation is significant and it is expanding. John Durham dropped his second bombshell in just the last two weeks. And mark my words, we will get to the bottom of this. John Durham will uncover the truth. We will get the equal justice that you, we, the American people deserve. Any minute now. Yes, few names made them salivate more over Fox or on the right than John Durham. He's one of the highest profile people left in the DOJ from the Trump administration after being appointed special counsel by Trump's attorney general, William Barr. Durham's task, investigate the investigators who produced the Mueller report. It's been a four-year effort to try to undermine the findings of that report, which established in painstaking detail that the Russians and the Trump campaign pursued a relationship of mutual benefit during the 2016 election, as well as a long string of evidence that while in office, Trump tried to obstruct justice. Durham made just two high-profile prosecutions against a cybersecurity lawyer and a research analyst who worked on the so-called Steele dossier. And in both cases, they ended in swift, humiliating acquittals. In a third case, Durham obtained the conviction of an FBI lawyer for what a federal judge deemed a mere inappropriate shortcut in a warrant application that resulted in probation and community service. Well, today, Durham finally released his long-awaited report, some 300 pages long. To save you time, I'll just give you the Cliff Notes version. As expected, Durham reiterates his argument that the FBI treated Trump unfairly and acted hastily in opening the counter-investigation into his 2016 campaign. But as NBC News reports, Durham's central conclusions are contradicted by a 2019 report by the Justice Department's internal watchdog, which found that while the FBI made a series of mistakes— The decision to open the Trump-Russia probe was justified as a matter of law and policy and was untainted by any evidence of political bias. Oh, and I should also add that nowhere in this report does Durham recommend any new charges against anyone. Joining me now is Peter Strzok, former FBI counterintelligence agent. And Peter, I will note that Durham... Uh, besides being a leave behind of the Trump administration, is a good pal of William Barr. They traveled abroad together, sipping scotch together, uh, pressing British and Italian officials for evidence of um, the criminality behind the report. What do you make of the seemingly rather bland conclusions? 
Well, Joy, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because nowhere in the report are any of those activities, any of those foreign junkets mentioned at once in the report. But look, this is a predictable, sad ending to an investigation that never should have taken place. Shortly after he was announced in uh, 2019, he went on the record, you know, as a prosecutor making a rare public statement that he disagreed with I.G. Horowitz's conclusion that the investigation was appropriately launched. And then he spent the next three to four years with a cognitive bias trying to build a case that somehow it was. And we see the results today, and the results are clearly that he didn't come up with anything. And I think, you know, what I make of it at the end of the day, Joy, I look at his record of two failed prosecutions and one plea that Michael Horowitz presented to him on a platter. And then I compare that to the record of Special Counsel Mueller, who convicted Paul Manafort and Rick Gates and Mike Flynn, and George Papadopoulos and Roger Stone and Michael Cohen and indicted dozens of Russians and if you want to compare which one of these had substance and meat behind the allegations, yeah. it's absolutely clear Robert Mueller did. I think it's very clear. They, they also name check you. I will note uh, Durham name checks you, you yourself. Um, and they said this. Our investigation gathered evidence that showed that a number of those closest to the investigation believed that the standard arguably had not been met. Even Strzok, that is you, um, who both drafted and approved the opening EC, said there's nothing to this, but we have to run it to ground. Strzok's view would seem to dictate the opening of the matter as an assessment or at most a preliminary investigation. Did you, uh, in fact, oppose opening the Mueller investigation? Well, you know, no, I didn't. And in fact, John Durham did not interview me except in a very narrow scope interview before I went into the grand jury related to the Michael Sussman investigation. So had he interviewed me, there would have been a wide variety of things I would have said. First and foremost, that the initial allegation was extraordinarily serious. It was potentially a threat to the national security of the United States, and it absolutely merited opening a full investigation. And in fact, the IG found that that was proper and in accordance with DOJ's and FBI regulations. And finally, after years of independent investigation, found that there was no testimonial or documentary evidence that anybody acted with bias or inappropriately. So I, this was worth opening. I agreed with opening it. I wrote the opening EC. It absolutely should have been opened. And the proof of that, again, is look at all those people who were found guilty in the course yeah. of Special Counsel Mueller's investigation. And what do you make of the fact that the ever thirsty Jim Jordan is now, uh, apparently he would like to bring John Durham before Congress and let him repeat this failure publicly on television? Well, I think based on what I've seen out of Jim Jordan's uh, committee, this is yet another disaster in the making. Uh, you know, he's fortunate that he has a, a very well-balanced and stocked uh, Democratic representation on that committee that I anticipate will ask a number of very interesting questions of John Durham, specifically what he did find when he went to Italy. Whether, in fact, the Italians, as the New York Times reported, presented he and Attorney General Barr of evidence of criminal behavior by Donald Trump that he himself investigated. Where's that in the report? Doesn't appear. So these are questions that are unanswered that I think should Jim Jordan bring him in front of Congress, it's going to be a really interesting session for both sides of the aisle. You know, when I think about the fact that William Barr got the job by writing a memo, um, sucking up to Donald Trump and promising essentially to get rid of the Russia probe, then he comes in, hires this guy, and then this guy has spent all of these years on this. Would you characterize that as, I don't know, the weaponization of government? Oh, without, a, without doubt, Joey. Look, the government, in particular DOJ, has an independent inspector general that looks of allegations of misconduct. They have prosecutors, in particular U.S. attorneys, that go out and investigate violations of law. If they find it, 
DOJ policy says they prosecute it. If they don't, they don't say anything. And what we have here is John Durham, a U.S. attorney, taking a role traditionally reserved for criminal prosecutions and essentially writing a four-year editorial for what he and Bill Barr thought that Donald Trump wanted to hear. Uh, well stated. <laughs> Peter Strzok, I cannot add no more. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Coming up, North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper vetoes new abortion restrictions, but a former Democrat's shocking betrayal means the Republican legislature can override it at any time. Governor Roy Cooper joins me next. Standing in the way of progress right now is this Republican supermajority legislature that only took 48 hours to turn the clock back 50 years on women's health. Let's be clear. This bill has nothing to do with making women safer and everything to do with banning abortion. Over the weekend, North Carolina's Democratic governor, Roy Cooper, vetoed legislation that would have banned nearly all abortions in his state after 12 weeks of pregnancy instead of the current 20 weeks. But that is not where this story ends, because the legislature has the power to override his veto and still enact the ban because of what one state lawmaker did back on April 3rd. Trisha Cotham, who ran and won as a pro-choice Democrat, switched parties giving the Republicans a veto-proof supermajority. She voted for the 12-week ban, despite co-sponsoring a bill to codify abortion protections into state law earlier this same year. And joining me now is North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper. Governor Cooper, thank you for being here. I watched your press conference over the week or your your event over the weekend at which you were cheered by doctors standing with you and by women um, for vetoing this legislation. But you have called out three names, uh, State Representative John Bradford, who said that he would not uh, seek additional restrictions. Uh, I believe he's a Republican. State Representative Ted Davis, who did not vote on the bill last week and said last year that the law should stay at 20 weeks. And State Representative Cotham, who I will just put this tweet up on May 3rd, 2022. She said we need leaders who will be unwavering and apologetic, unapologetic in their support of abortion rights and said, I will fight to codify Roe and continue my strong record of defending the right to choose. That's what she said not long ago. Now she switched sides. Do you think any of those three will join you in upholding your veto? We certainly hope so, Joy. All it takes is one. The Republicans have a supermajority by one vote in the House and one vote in the Senate, and we need one Republican in either chamber. These were promises made to their constituents that they would protect women's reproductive freedom, that they would keep the law as it is right now. And here we have uh, a bill that's been dressed up as a 12-week ban, and they call it reasonable, when in actuality, it puts restrictions on clinics. It puts obstacles in front of women. And it's going to be very difficult for them to be able to get care. And in fact, this legislation will operate as an effective ban on abortions for many women, particularly those who are working in low-wage jobs, who have children, who have a hard time getting to the doctor. There are only a few clinics in North Carolina that provide this service. So there's going to be a lot of travel involved. Three in-person uh, appearances for a patient in order to get reproductive care, 
Clearly, that is medically unnecessary. The doctors across the board say that it is. It is simply a way to ban abortion. And make no mistake, if these legislators vote to override this veto, they are voting to ban abortions in North Carolina, and they are breaking their promise to their constituents. And it's all the more egregious because Florida has now passed a six-week ban, meaning the solid sort of South uh, in terms of how far people would have to leave the whole region in order to get abortion care is pretty egregious. Have you had a conversation with Representative Cotham, who I think a lot of people would argue betrayed the people who voted for her, particularly the women who voted for her? Have you had a face-to-face conversation with her about whether she will uphold the promise she made to her constituents to uphold their right to govern their own bodies. I've talked with her about this and other issues facing the General Assembly this session. Uh, She was on our side on most issues. And in fact, she was elected in a very blue district. And what I have told her is, I hope you can stand up to your new party like you just stood up to your old party, because one of the things she claimed was she wanted more freedom of thought. However, in this situation, the political bosses, the Republican bosses are holding their votes. They know they need every single Republican in order to overturn this veto. So we're hoping that either she or one of these other Republicans will step forward and do the right thing here. You know, they I'm sure they've said it before. We, we just don't need politicians in the exam room uh, with women and their doctors. But that's something that we're seeing here, the way they have prescribed this, the burdens they put on a number of these clinics. Planned Parenthood says it's going to be difficult to almost impossible for them to operate in North Carolina. And you mentioned the Southeast. We have become an access point in the Southeast. So there are waiting lists at these clinics with these additional burdens that they have put on women, doctors and clinics. That's why this is going to operate as an effective ban. They put a 10-week ban on medication abortion, which is what most women use. So this this is a wolf in sheep's clothing here. They they have tried, you know, really doesn't even sound that great, but they've tried to make it sound like a reasonable compromise. It's really a disguise for a bad bill that it's going to be disaster for North Carolina. Well, uh, please keep us up to date on how this is going. We will obviously be watching North Carolina, uh, North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper. Thank you very much. Really appreciate your time this evening. And coming up, the infuriating hypocrisy of America's deadly gun culture. We'll be right back. It is fair to say that America's gun culture is incoherent evidenced by this weekend as the NBA is now investigating an incident involving Memphis Grizzly star John Moran after a social media video appeared to show him holding a gun. The Grizzlies suspended him from team activities. It's not the first time Morant has faced punishment for apparently flashing a gun on social media. Two months ago, he was suspended for, for eight games for another video. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver said his actions had serious consequences given his enormous following and influence, particularly among young fans who look up to him. At the time, Morant said that he accepted full responsibility for his actions. But what does it say that the NBA holds a 23-year-old basketball player to a higher standard than Republican voters hold their politicians? I think we can all agree that flashing a gun like a toy is uncivilized behavior. But if that's uncivilized, 
Isn't it uncivilized for members of Congress, like Tennessee's Andy Ogles or Colorado's Lauren Boebert, to post happy birthday Jesus Christmas family photos with them and their kids brandishing guns? How about Virginia Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears, a shall not be infringed post featuring mass shooter's favorite weapon, the AR-15? Is that civilized? Was it civilized when Boebert ended a video ad directed at then-Speaker Nancy Pelosi with a gunshot, like a cosplay assassination? Or when Marjorie Taylor Greene vowed to blow away socialist Democrats' agenda with a high-powered rifle? The basketball player is bad, but all that is fine? Make that make sense. This perverse worship of guns from politicians or anyone would be condemned in a normal, healthy society. But what about one that's saturated with guns and gun massacres? So many massacres that many Americans are left feeling numb, just wondering if they're next. Over the weekend, citizens in Buffalo, New York, remembered the victims of the racist attack at a supermarket one year ago when a white supremacist gunned down 10 shoppers. And in a new interview, former President Barack Obama, as he so often does, struck at the heart of America's intractable gun problem. It has become sort of a proxy for arguments about our culture wars, you know, urban versus rural. Uh, race is always an element in these issues. Uh, issues of, you know, of, our, class. Uh, of class and, and, and education and so forth. Instead of thinking about it in a very pragmatic way, we end up really arguing about identity and emotion and all kinds of stuff that does not have to do with keeping our children safe. And that is tonight's readout. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance. While kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.